Uh, we're going to move into the book of Joshua. So we were in Colossians for about six or seven months, and then we were in Philemon for two weeks, and then I was gone, and Pastor Daniel uh, brought the Word of God to you last week, did a great job, is what I heard. And so we're going to start a Old Testament book. We're not going to be in it very long, uh, but we will be just a, a few weeks, uh, maybe a month or so, in the book of Joshua. And so what I'd like to do is begin this morning with the first nine verses, okay? So we're going to begin this morning with the first nine verses of the book of Joshua. And then I'm going to read that, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a... Uh, uh, Kind of a context to put it in, okay? Does everyone remember, remember our God Story Project? So uh, we, have, we have incorporated this into all of our children's ministry, all of our youth ministry. It's basically the God Story of creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom cross, uh, uh, kingdom cross, resurrection, church, and second coming. And it's kind of a way to just put God's story in line. So almost in chapters and so one of the things we're going to do this morning uh, after I pray is we're going to put Joshua into that context. So where does it occur in God's story? Because that's really important for the book of Joshua. And then we're going to make some practical application to our own lives from what God tells Joshua. Okay, so that's what's on our plate this morning. So hopefully you're there. It's in your Old Testament if you haven't found it yet. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua and so chapter 1, I'm going to read the first nine verses. Here we go. Oh yeah, you can stand. I forget. <laughs> After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law, the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, do the work of connecting uh, the truths of this passage with the realities of our life. Father, we, we know that you have called us to be a certain type of person that you have given us a mission. And Father, I pray that this morning we might take those first steps of obedience and faith, believing that you are everything you say you are and that you're going to do everything you said you're going to do. Father, direct us through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get a little context for the book of Joshua. In Genesis chapter 12, 
God appears to a man named Abram. His name would later be changed by God to Abraham. And when God appears to Abram, he promises him some pretty spectacular things. We find that in Genesis 12. I'm going to read that in verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to a land. Okay, so the first thing he promises him is that I'm going to give you a land, a promised land. Okay, that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. At this point, Abraham does not have any children, but yet God promises him that in his old age he's going to have a son, and that son is going to have sons who are going to have going to turn into a mighty nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then this is this is the mother load. This is the promise of all promises in the scriptures, and in in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God appears to Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to trust me. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised land. And, I, and through you, through your family, through your descendants, somehow, some way, we know how it happens through Jesus, but somehow, some way, there's going to come one who is going to bless the entire earth. Okay? So that happens in Genesis chapter 12. Now, Abraham has a son, Isaac, in his old age, he's 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. The promise goes through Jacob and not Esau. Jacob has 12 sons. Those sons become what would be the 12 tribes of Israel, what would be the nation of Israel. Now, whenever you got a bunch of boys in a house, a lot of times there's a bit of competition, right? Competition for dad's affection. Dad didn't handle that real well. And God had a special plan for one of the sons named Joseph. That son, Joseph, was hated by his brothers. Uh, they were out in the field one day, and his brothers decided, we've had enough of you, buddy. And they beat him up, threw him in a pit, and then sell him into slavery and tell his dad that he's been killed by a wild animal. So Joseph is a slave in Egypt now, and his dad thinks he's dead. Well, things go from worse to even worse when Joseph goes from slavery to prison because he's falsely accused. While he's in prison, though, God, according to his masterful plan, raises him up to be before Pharaoh, where he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh realizes that God has his hand on this guy and makes him the prime minister of Egypt. Now, part of that dream was that there was going to be a mighty famine in all the world. And so Joseph was going to be the instrument of God to save the world, in the sense, Joseph is kind of a Christ figure, by preparing for that famine, which is exactly what he does. Well, in seven years, the famine hits, and nobody has any food, including back home, with Jacob and his 11 sons. Remember, Joseph is already in Egypt. And so they travel to Egypt to buy food because everybody is starving. And when they get there, Joseph finds them and forgives them of their sin against him and brings him to brings the whole family to Egypt. So now, Jacob and the 12 sons, Jacob and his whole family, the 12 tribes of Israel, what would be the nation of Israel, one family now, is in Egypt. Now, they will stay in Egypt for 400 years. And during those 400 years, two pretty awesome things happen. Number one, they have a lot of kids. God's people are good at having lots of kids for some reason. So they have a lot of kids. And the Bible says they multiply from one family into this great nation over 400 years. The other thing that happens is that Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that had favor upon Joseph and his family, dies. A new Pharaoh takes his place, actually several new Pharaohs, and they don't, they don't remember Joseph, and they enslave the people of God. So now they're a mighty nation, but they're a nation of slaves, and they're in bondage. Well, after 400 years, God hears their cry of bondage, and God raises up a deliverer, and his name is... Moses, that's right. God raised up a deliverer. His name is Moses. And through Moses, 
God brings this great nation, this nation of slaves, out of Egypt and heads them on the way to the promised land. So you remember there's the plagues and there's the dividing of the Red Sea. There's the giving of the Ten Commandments. All of that happens as they're going toward the promised land. They get to the edge of the promised land. They can see it across the Jordan. And they send out 12 spies, one spy from every nation, from every tribe in the nation of Israel. They said that's 12 spies. Those 12 spies spy out all the land. They come back and they say, you know what? God was not lying. This is an awesome land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey, okay? In that day, that was a sign of prosperity. Today, it would be Dr. Pepper and corn dogs. I don't know, something like that, you know? This is a prosperous land. That's what they said. But, 10 of the spies said, but, man, guess what? There's already people there. And those people are not happy about us being here, and we can't do this. They've got fortified cities. They've got, uh, I mean, can you imagine the Canaanites waking up one morning, opening the shades, and here is a nation of slaves across the Jordan saying, we're going to come in. I mean, that, that could not have gone well. About a week ago, we were at Mollus Lake uh, Campground up by Silverton. I tell you what, folks, the most beautiful campground we've ever stayed at. We had an incredible sight right on the edge of the campground. Going out from our campfire, from our little, little where we cooked our, our meals, was 100 miles of nothing but wilderness. I mean, we, we took walks and walked, walked the Colorado Trail, just, just an incredible spectacular sights and we were so happy to have that camera we were just rejoicing and the first night was wonderful the next day we took off on the Colorado Trail and uh, me and Colt and, and Haven came back early because of a storm that set in and Colt had fallen asleep in the Kelty and I was sit, sat, just sat down at at uh, the, our campground and was holding him in the Kelty while he took his little nap and a bus full of middle school students pulled up <laughs> that's like the worst thing that could ever happen you know it's like Durango Science Center or some I don't know, so it's like nature's whatever, some kind of outfitter and a bunch of middle school kids get out of that bus and, and which is fine. Like I was like, well, okay, Lord, it's okay. We love people. We like mail. You know, maybe there's an opportunity here. And they were kind of away, you know, in these campsites. But for whatever reason, and if you'll know if you know middle school girls, there's not a lot of logic going on there. For whatever reason, this group of middle school girls comes away from their site, away from where they're supposed to be, and comes over kind of right across from our campfire and sets up their tent, you know? I mean, right there in my beautiful view of the Rocky Mountains, you know, this spectacular view. And, and I thought to myself, I thought, Jason, you know that you are a patient and a forgiving and a gracious man, and, and that, that this would be okay. You'll, you'll stomach through this. It's not your favorite, but you know if your wife comes back and she knows you let them do that, it's going to be bad, you know? And so I woke Colt up, and I went over, and I said, Hey, girls, are you going to set your tent up right there? And they said, Yeah, is that okay? And I was like, Well, yeah, I, I guess. That's exactly how I said it. You know, and I just walked back with Colt. I saw him have a little middle school girl meeting. You know, and I, I had to believe it said something like, That guy's a jerk. We don't want to be by him. You know, and off they go, about a quarter mile the other way. You know, so, whew, okay. You had to know something like that except way more intense happened when the Canaanites opened up their shutters. They look across the Jordan and here's Israel. Here's a nation of slaves and they're coming this way, right? You had to know that swords and spears and chariots and armies started to mount up. And as the Israelites thought about that, they thought, well, this is the land that God has given us. This is the land God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But there's already people there. And those people aren't happy about us being here. And so those 12 spies went into the land. And they came back and they said, man, 
He's right, it's good. But ten of those spies said, we can't do it. Now what essentially were they saying? God can't do it, right? They were saying God can't do it. We can't trust Him. You know, it's not going to happen. They're too big, they're too fortified, they're too heavily armed, we're too small, we don't have any armor, we don't have any experience. Whatever excuses they make, we're really good excuses, don't you know that? They're really good excuses, we're really good excuses. We can't, this is not going to happen. And because of that, that entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until they all died. Even Moses died in the wilderness. Man, if there's ever a passage in the Bible that, that should cause you to take note of your temper tantrums, it's that one. Because Moses basically has an angry temper tantrum and he misses the promised land. Well, now it's 40 years later. 40 years, can you believe that? 40 years later, that entire generation has died off and now they are back to the same spot. Okay? The same spot. Moses has died. Everybody else in the generation, but Joshua and Caleb died. And now they're getting ready to take possession of what God told them that they were going to have, the promised land. And that's where we pick up the book of Joshua. Okay, So that's the context of the book of Joshua. Is that Israel has come around once again, a second time. And now it's on them whether or not they're going to trust God for the, what God has for them. Now, this book of Joshua has some incredible parallels for our own life. Guys, sometimes in the Old Testament, we got to be careful, you know, because we're, we're not Israel, you know, and so sometimes God has something for Israel that he doesn't have for us. Does that make sense? Sometimes God has this particular thing he's doing with Israel that he's not necessarily doing with us, right? So we have to be careful with that. But with the book of Joshua, in a lot of ways, we're safe because the book of Hebrews, along with other parts of the New Testament, parts of the Bible, really tell us, hey, you should apply this to your life, Okay. And, and so, for instance, God has delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now he's got this inheritance for them. Well, the Bible says that God has delivered you, if you're a believer here this morning, out of sin and death in the grave, and he's got an inheritance for you. He's got a new life for you in Christ. And now, just like it was on Israel to believe God and to act in faith and to obey his word and to take possession of all that they'd been given, it's on you this morning to take possession of the life that God has planned for you in Christ. And so we ought to think of it in that way. In fact, when we go into the book of Hebrews, let me, let me give, give you, can I give you a quick example? I just want you to show I'm not like making stuff up here. Hebrews chapter three, verse 16, he says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? See, that was that first generation. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? That was the 40 years in the wilderness. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter, enter the promised land. Why? Because of unbelief. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But then in chapter 4, the next verse, verse 1 he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fearless any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Essentially, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, don't let the same thing happen to you, right? So, so it's appropriate for us to take what we find here in Joshua and to apply it to our inheritance. Ephesians 1.3 says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, you, you have a spiritual inheritance. 
And now it's up to us to believe God, to trust God, to take steps of obedience to have that inheritance. So there we go. That's the context. So point number one, what does God tell Joshua right there at the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land? What is God's exhortation to Joshua? Point number one, get up and go. Okay, get up and go, move, okay? I call this the first step of faith, all right? The first step of faith. Anytime you're gonna have any, any progress in your Christian life, you know where it's gonna begin? It's gonna begin with a first step of faith. It's gonna begin by you saying, okay, God, I trust you, I believe you, and I'm gonna take that first step of faith. It's exactly what the Israelites 40 years ago were not willing to do. They were not willing to take that faith-inspired action. And now here they are again at the, at the Jordan River. And do they have it all figured out? No. Do they know how God is going to give them the city of Jericho, this fortified? They don't know that. Do they know how this ragtag children of slaves people are going to conquer nations? They don't know any of that. But yet God tells them, you take a first step. So look in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Okay? Arise. You know what arise means? Get up. Get up. You get up and then the next word is go over this Jordan. You and all this people and the land that I'm giving you to the people of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon. I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. You know what the first thing he tells Joshua? He says you got to get those people up and you got to get them across the Jordan River into the territory of the Canaanites. You get them in there. You, you cross that river. Now when they, once they cross that river they're at war. Okay, but do you notice what he says? Get up and go. You got to take that first step of faith. Isn't it interesting that God always talks that way? God never works it all out and then says, okay, I'll, I'll bring you. God never does that. God never says, hey, I'm going to work all the details out. I'm going to get everything settled, and then I'm going to bring you. No, he always says, all right, you go and you trust me. That's what he said to Abraham, didn't he? In Genesis chapter 12, remember that? I uh, just read it just a few minutes ago. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, Abram, Go. That's the first thing he tells him. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. He doesn't even tell him where the land is. He just says, I'll show you. I'll take care of it. I'm going to promise these things. Your role is to get up and move. Your role is to take that first step of faith. Don't hesitate. Don't doubt me. Don't procrastinate. Don't say it's too hard. Don't say I can't. Don't say I don't know how. Don't say I'm not good at it. None of that. Yours is to Grab onto by faith what God has given to you. You see, my friends, God had an identity for them. They, they looked at themselves as a nation of slaves. They weren't. They were Israel. They, they were God's people. And this was their land. Why was it their land? Because God had given it to them. And they em had to embrace that by faith, cross the Jordan River, and believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Did you know that all your Christian life is essentially doing just that. I, I want to read you a real theological passage. So we're going to go from Joshua and the, 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 the logistics of them believing God and crossing the Jordan River and going into war with these Canaanites and take possession of the land. We're going to go from there to the book of Romans, okay, which is all about your spiritual identity. But I want you to see that God does really the same thing with you and I in our spiritual identity. So here's, here's Romans 6, okay? Romans 6, 6 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. You're to believe that this morning. 
You are to believe that your old self is crucified in Christ and that you're no longer enslaved to sin. See, you're supposed to believe that. You're supposed to possess that. You're supposed to say, okay, God, I believe it. Let me show you. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, with Christ, we're supposed to believe that. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. In Christ Jesus, verse 12, therefore... Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make, make, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Do, do, do you see the progression in Romans 6? He says, guess what? You're not who you used to be. You're somebody different. You're joined to Jesus. The old you is dead. The new you is raised up. You're no longer a slave to sin. And therefore, take that first step and present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, you're different. Begin to live it. Okay, see, the Bible always acts that way. It always tells you, this is who you are in Christ. Now, take the step today, right now, to be that. So as we look through the Bible, what does it say about us? As Christians, it says we're forgiven. We're redeemed. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We're adopted in the family of God. The old you is dead. The new you is raised alive. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses. It says you're, that's you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In, in, in Matthew 28, it says, go, make disciples. And again, go, the first step, go. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Bible says, this is who you are. This is your identity. This is your possession. Now take a first step to make that a reality. Believe God. Trust him. Step out, even when... You can't see it physically. If there were a large mansion, like huge estate, thousand acres, south of Woodward, that is supposed to be yours. It's been deeded to you by your family. But for whatever reason, you've not taken possession of it. And because of that, you are living in your Walmart Coleman tent between here and Moreland under a bridge. Okay? If that were true, do you know what you ought to do today? What you ought to do today is find Brian Billings, right? Like he goes to our church. And, and if I were you, I'd, I'd be over in his Sunday school class right now. Not, not because it is a great class, but not because of that. But I'd be waiting until afterward and saying, so you're a lawyer, are you? You know, do you know anything about claiming estates? You know, you know, all right, you'd be taking a first step. First thing in the morning, where would you be? If I were you, I'd be at the courthouse, right? I'd be at the abstract office. I'd be at the title. I don't know how exactly one claims in the state, but you better believe I'd be taking some steps to find out. But let's say you were, you were just like, you know, that is mine, but I'm just going to hang out here under the bridge in the tent. You know what I'd have to wonder? I'd have to wonder whether you really believed it was yours. Wouldn't you wonder that? Okay. The Bible says... This is who you are. So begin to apply this. For, let, 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 can we just be real specific? So, for instance, Hebrews 4.16 says that through the blood of Jesus, you, it's been purchased for you to be able to come boldly into the throne of God and to ask Him for all that you need to receive mercy and help and grace in time of need. In other words... God has purchased for you a vibrant prayer life. What God has said is, you're, you're my child, and, and what I've done for you is, is I've enabled you to come boldly 
and, and to, be a, to be a person of prayer. If you are not a person of prayer this morning, why? Why? Uh, isn't that a great question? Why are you not? Like, what, what, why are you not? Why have you not believed that? Why have you not stepped into that? Folks, we cannot be content to look from the other side of the Jordan. Imagine if the Israelites just did that. They just stayed on the other side of the Jordan. You know, they all bought binoculars. They all went to Walmart, bought binoculars, and, and, and got up on a high hill and said, Yep, there it is. There's the promised land. Kids, look at this. Look how great that is. Look at that. Milk, honey, grapes, you know, Doritos, Coca-Cola, all that. Look at it. Look at it. Everything we need. But we're going to stay over here. You see that? That's a, there's something wrong with that. And so the first thing that Joshua is told by God is a very practical thing. You need to get up and you need to go. You need to take a first step. Let's get real practical. Why are you not acting on what God has told you to do? Why are you not acting on what God has made you? Man, that's a great question for today. Why? Why? Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that fathers are to be the disciplers of their children. You're to bring up your kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. All right, so I'm just guessing that in the three services today, there were some fathers that aren't presently doing that. So a great question that always ought to hit us from the Scripture. Why? Why, why am I not doing that? The Bible says in Ephesians that we ought to Love our spouse as Christ has loved the church. That we ought to love them as ourselves. If you're not doing that this morning, if you're in a marriage and that's not happening, why? God has told you, man, here's what I'm promising. Here's what I'm giving. Why are, why are you not doing that? Why are you not stepping into that? If you're not sharing your faith with people that are in your circle of influence, I would ask you this morning, why are you not doing that? God is, are you in doubt that God has told you He's given you that mission? You ought not be in doubt of that. You, it ought to be clear that God has told you that. Why are you not a disciple maker? Why are you not enjoying God in prayer? Why, are you not, why do you not have joy? I mean, the Bible tells us that we've been given joy, First Peter, joy inexpressible, filled with glory. If you don't have that, why? Two reasons. Are you ready? The first one's tough. Unbelief. Unbelief. So when we go back to Hebrews, when it says, why didn't these folks make it in? It's very clear. Verse, 9, verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If we go to chapter 4, verse 2. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's very possible that there are some of you here today that you simply don't believe. Did you know it's possible to be in church and yet be unbelieving? Exhibit A, right here, okay? 18 years. I knew all the stories. I knew what it meant to be saved. I knew what it meant to be a Christian. I simply did not believe. I didn't believe. I didn't believe that was the best thing. I didn't believe Jesus could take care of me. I didn't believe that would be life. I, I, I didn't. I thought that'd be death. I didn't want it. You know, I didn't tell anybody that, but I, I didn't. Okay? And so it may be that the, the reason you've not taken steps of faith, the reason that you're not the person that God's called you to be is because you simply don't believe. But number two, it could be that there are many who it's not unbelief, it's, it's fear. I, I know fear seems like a strange reason to put as number two. But, but I believe there's times where there's a genuine seed of faith in people's lives. Like they're really born again. They, they, really, they really have put their faith in Christ. 
But for whatever reason, they're not taking possession of what God has given them. They're not saying, man, this life is mine. God has given me that step of faith. They're not, that's not happening. And, and I believe a lot of times it's not happening because of fear. And, and, and one of the evidences of that is that in Joshua chapter 1, in the first nine verses of the book, three times he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Did you, did you notice that when I was reading it? Verse, look at it, verse, verse 6. Verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Three times he tells Joshua, who by nature is a warrior, that he needs to be strong and then he needs to be courageous. Now, in this context, let me define for you what my definition of courage would be in Joshua chapter 1. My definition of courage in this context is courage is being willing to pull the trigger on what God has commanded you to do even if it is hard, even if it is painful, even if it is scary, even if it is difficult, even if it is uncertain. Okay? A lot of times we look at courage as well, that's being one of those people that isn't afraid of heights and they bungee jump out of planes and they, you know, a lot of times that's just being dumb, honestly, you know. I mean, it's, it's not, that, some of that stuff is not courage. Okay? And some of that's just disposition. Some people just don't have that chip in them, you know? They, they're just, you know, that's not what he's talking about. So you, today you shouldn't say, well, I'm a naturally timid person. It doesn't matter. God is commanding you. Every, every believer, he's saying, you be strong and you courageous. What he means by that is you pull the trigger on whatever God is calling you to do. Whatever he has said you are and you are to be. You pull the trigger and you take the first step. You arise and you go. You cross the Jordan. Why? Because of who he is. Because of who he is. I mean, that, that, all of this, be strong and courageous, is built upon because of God. Because of, number one, his promises. Look at verse 3. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you just as I promised. You see, the Christian life is fueled by the promises of God. This, this is where some branches of Christianity get all out of whack. Because they, they, they take, okay, they take kind of what I've just told you, that we, we are to take possession of what God has, has given to us, and, and they, they take that as a blank check for everything, you know? I, like, I'd really like to have one of those Toyota four-wheel drive, fancy job. Have you seen those? Man, I'll, I'd like to have one of them. So this morning, can I be like, God, you've given me? No, he hadn't given me a Toyota, you know? He has, but it's a little Yaris. You know, it's not that four-wheel drive thing. Like, like there's nowhere in the Bible that says that, right? What, what we're talking about is rooted in the promises of God. So, so 2 Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So in other words, we are to believe the promises of God. So in 1 John 1, 9 when it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that is a promise, right? And so whenever we blow it, we are able to repent of our sin. That's what confession means. You say the same thing, homo legale, say the same thing as God. You repent of your sin and you believe in the cross, the work of the cross of Jesus Christ to take away not only the guilt of your sin, but the power of your sin 
And you take steps of faith to be somebody different. And to walk in faith. You believe you're forgiven. Matthew 6, a passage that talks about being worried about your mortgage and your grocery bill and your utilities and all that. And Matthew 6, steps back and says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, man, you got to put me as top priority. The thing that really matters in your life is putting Christ first, the kingdom first, and then God will take care of those other things. It's a promise. And so what do we got to do? We got to take that step. We have to say, God, I believe you. I believe you. I got all this mess in my life. But God, I believe the kingdom must come first, and then you'll help me with that other stuff. Step, big step. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That, that, that's a step. That's a, God, I believe that the primary thing in my life is being joyful in you, and so I'm going to be joyful in you. Even though I got all this disaster in my life, I'm going to be joyful in you. And I'm going to trust you give me the desires of my heart. I promise this. They're promises. But you cannot sit on the other side of the Jordan and look at them and say, yep, they're really good, but I'm not going to step across. Guys, we, we got to do this first thing. Arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people. That's what he's telling them. you gotta, you got to believe me, and believing me means taking the first step. Probably, David, you do announcements today? David, I think, did announcements. He probably talked about small groups coming up, right, here in September. And I bet you anything, when, when, when he said small groups, here's what I prayed would happen. I prayed that the Holy Spirit would begin to tie this, this passage to different parts of our lives, right? And I bet you there were some of you who were like, oh, small groups. And you're like, I know God has commanded us to be in Christ in our relationships. I know God has commanded us to love our brother. And I know, you know, but, right, that just like they're looking across the Jordan at all the fortified cities and all the obstacles and excuses, right? There are some of you who, who, when you heard small groups, you're like, yes, I know, God, that you want me to be that kind of person, but, but, right? And then here we go, right? Here we go. But I got to get up early at Monday morning. You know, I got to be at work at 3 a.m. 3 on Monday morning, and, and my kids, they go to bed at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, which is probably a lie. But anyway, you're telling yourself this, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm allergic to every food on the face of the planet except, you know, seasoned peanuts from Tanzania, and they won't bring those to small groups. And But, you know, what if I get there and nobody likes me? Or what if that one person's there that I don't like? But what if I get there and what if they, and then all of a sudden all of the earth slows down what if they call me to pray and then all of a sudden right the obstacles start flying in your face if they call me to on me to pray in small group i will freeze up and there'll be this deadened silence and everybody will go and they'll laugh and all the women will pull out their smartphones and they'll record it and they'll tweet it and they'll Facebook it and they'll put it on YouTube and it'll become a viral sensation. There you are drooling and you can't get a prayer out, you know, and everybody will see it and you'll be on the news and Matt Lauer will call from the Today Show and want to interview you and embarrass you more and, and your kids will wear bags on their heads to school because they're so embarrassed of their parent who froze up and small group and couldn't pray and all of that will surely happen all that probably will not happen first of all they probably won't call on you to pray normally the leader one doesn't call on people unless they know that they're you know comfortable doing that but even if they did do you see what we do see we know God's called me to be this kind of person but and then we throw up all of our excuses 
Man, Israel, that's what they did the first time. And they wandered, they wasted, they squandered their lives. Never made it in the promised land. So now as they come back the second time, what's he say? Get up and get those people across the Jordan. You, you take that first step of faith. Take it. Believe. God worked it all out? Nope. Is it all worked out for you? Nope. What if you go to that small group? Man, what, what if some crazy leader thinks you're somebody else? They think you're Pastor Daniel, you know? And they call on you to pray. What if that happens? Here's what I would say. God's enough. He's big enough. I think you just do it. Shelby, I think you just do it, right? When God calls you to sing and you're not a singer, I think you just, you just get, you get out of your seat and you say, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'll, I'll, God, I'll cross the Jordan. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'll cross the Jordan. I'll take that step of faith because God's a promise keeper, right? Because he won't let me down. Second of all, because he's promised that he would be with me. Look at verse 5 and verse 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know what's interesting to me? Is that the book of Joshua starts out real abruptly. Moses is dead. <laughs> you notice that? Like verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. You know, I mean, it's, it's not even like cleaned up like we've lost a great loved one. You know, it's none of that. Moses is dead. And, and you, know, you know what I think is significant about that? Moses had been the one who had led them out of Egypt, who had led them through the Red Sea, who had led them to be fed with manna from heaven and water from the rock. And man, 40 years. And now they, they finally are all rallied up to believe God and they get to the edge. And what happens? The guy dies because of his own sin. You know what I think God's doing there? In his providence, I think he's saying, don't you trust Moses, you trust me. Have you ever noticed that God likes to do that? He kind of, well, every once in a while, kick everything else out of your life so that all you got left is him. Like, do you trust me? Am I enough? And, and here's what he's telling Joshua. I, I am enough. Moses is dead, but that's fine. Because I'm with you. Moses is just a man. But I, I'm who you need. I'm who you need. Am I enough? Is my word enough? Let me ask you that this morning. Is, is his word enough? We went back to Mesa Verde. The beginning of our trip. And it seemed like we go there every 10 years. Em and I figured that out uh, for the last... Well, this will be our third time, so long time. And we went to the balcony house tour, and I was reminded. I was carrying Colt in the Kelty, and um, I was reminded of 10 years ago when it was Avery in the Kelty, you know? She'd been three, four years old. And um, 
I remember exactly, I've told the story before, but it's it such a profound moment for me. She was in the back of that balcony house. You got a 32-foot ladder that goes up into these chain sections where you're kind of going up this cliff to get in the balcony house. She's in the Kelty strapped on my back. I'm climbing that ladder. And I remember her, you know, in the back. And I remember her leaning up to my ear and saying, Dad, are we going to fall? She said, am I going to fall? And, and I'll never forget, I just said, no, honey. You're strapped onto me. We're not going to fall. And I remember the next sound I heard was her crunching on her snacks. You know, she said, okay. I, I just, I was, I was amazed that that was enough. Like all I had to do is say, no, we're not. Okay, I'll hang over this cliff. <laughs> Isn't it enough for you? If God says, this is it, this this is the deal. I want you to do this. Okay. I want you to step out. Okay. That ought to be enough for us. We ought to be like, man, God said it. That's enough. You, you know what's cool to me? One we pointed this out. The Gospel of Matthew, in, um, in the first, first chapter, Jesus is born and he's introduced as Emmanuel. God with us. In the last chapter of Matthew, at the end of the book, it says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, for lo, I am with you always. In other words, the Gospel of Matthew starts out saying, This is Jesus. He is God with you. It ends by saying, Now go. Go in faith. I'm with you always. You see, it's, it's God's presence. That's, that's, that ought to be enough. That, that ought to be enough. Hebrews chapter 13 is an interesting statement about God being with us because it's about money. And it's about being content with what you have. And it says you can be content with what you have because, this is Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says because God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Very thing that Joshua was told. And then it goes on to say, therefore we may say, the Lord is my helper. That's what it means for God to be with us, is we're like, okay, God's with me, so God's going to help me. God, God is my resource. I'm going to come back to the same question I asked you about 10 minutes ago. Why aren't you obeying Jesus? What is it? It's okay. Go ahead and in your mind, just go ahead and work that out, you know? It might be impressive. I mean, don't you think these guys with their binoculars, hey, there's Jericho, that dude is a walled city, 30-foot thick walls. Those guys got arrows and crossbows and, and spear. I don't know what they had, you know, weapons, you know, on top of it. Man, this, this thing's huge. Go ahead, go ahead, build that up. What is it? Why, why aren't you obeying? You surely got some excuse, right? Okay, now, here's what, here's what God says. Be strong and courageous. Because I've promised you that I'm going to make you this kind of person. And I'm going to give you this mission. And I'm going to be with you. All right, so whatever the big obstacles are, now you need to take a step. And that's how we're going to finish today. Is you need to take a step. Like today, like now. Like as we begin to sing or read right now, wherever you're sitting, you need to tell God, all right, God, I trust you.
And so I'm going to be the person you call me to be. I'm going to take a step this morning, right now. I'm going to be obedient. I, I can't work it all out today, but, man, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to cross the Jordan. And, and I'm going to be the people that you've called me to be. We didn't have time. I, I thought we'd have more time, but um, you'd think I'd learn. Seven, verses uh, 8 and 9 talk about the Bible. And it's interesting to me that even as they crossed that Jordan, it wasn't over. You see, this, this would be happening the rest of Joshua's life. And he knew that because God had told him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, you're, you're, you're going to speak this book. You're going to use this book. You shall meditate on it day and night. You're, you're going you're to make this book your life. And you're going to pour over its pages so that you may be careful to do. Did you hear that? Not learn, not study. That you may be careful to do all that's commanded. Then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll have success. You see, it's, it's, it's a life of doing just that. Saying, okay, God, you, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. I trust you. Take a step. Step of faith. Do according to all that he has commanded us. So what is that for you this morning? Whatever it is, man, what a great example here. Do you want to be like the generation that said, nah, I'm, I'm not going to trust you. I'll stay over here. Man, that did not end well. Don't be that. Or are you going to be the person that says, okay, God, I'm scared, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, and man, I'm not gifted that way, but God, you, you called me, so I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a step. Father in heaven, we ask you to help us this morning. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just sweep over this room, and God, that you would um, tie in uh, all the circumstances of of the lives that are present here this morning, whether it be family problems or money problems, whether it be discipleship steps, whether it be small groups, whether it be Christ in relationships, whether it be some sin that needs to be discarded, whether it be some act of obedience that needs to be laid hold of. God, I pray that you would give faith to trust your promise, to trust your presence, and to take that step of faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.